Hey there, it's episode 12 of the Brosane Detroit Pistons podcast. It's January 1st, 2015. I'm Carl Rosane. And I'm Alex Rosane. And we're here with some, after last week, after last episode where we basically just were quantifying just how terrible we were, we have some good news. The Pistons have, are on a three-game win streak, and I actually feel like having won three games, you can actually call it a streak. I think before the Pistons fans were reaching and calling like a one-game win streak and stuff. So yeah, we have some fun stuff to talk about. Um, and and it's, it's not just a win streak. It's a it's a streak where we actually looked awesome. We, we've won by an average of 18 points per game. A couple of the games have been on the road. Uh, we beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in that streak. I mean, you know, we, we've looked awesome. It, it, it's like we uh, typed in a cheat code or something. We're suddenly um, – I, I there's some unsustainable – Hot shooting in there. I think we set a franchise record for three pointers made in one of those games, and then Jody Meeks came one short of uh, Joe Dumars's single game record for Pistons franchise record uh, yeah, by hitting and, nine threes in another game. So, and obviously, I'm like alive. The, the, the sort of turning point before the three game win streak and all this great play is that we waived Josh Smith, and that's a really bold move by Stan Van Gundy and the ownership. Um, so, why don't we talk a little bit about? The mechanics of that, what that means, and then we can go back to like how we're playing as a team. Uh, so, why can, can you break down what the stretch provision is and like what the mechanics of this are? Yes, uh, we, it, we did something that is pretty rare. We didn't do a buyout or, or anything. We just waived Josh Smith, where we agree to pay him the rest of his contract, and we don't get him to play for us anymore. And we use something called the stretch provision which allows you to take the remaining salary on a waived player's contract and stretch it over a period of uh, double the number of years left on the contract plus one. So Josh has two years left on his contract after this one, so we're going to spread that over out over the next five years. And uh, so that means that the $26 million that we owe him uh, for combined next year and the year after um, we won't have to. It'll be count on our salary cap as five point four million dollars a year for each of the next five years, and that's if he just retired and just decided to live off those two years of contract. We can have the amount that we have to pay reduced by a little bit, depending on what other teams pay him. We'll st- uh, the owner Tom Gores will still have to write those checks to Jack Smith, but the amount that it affects our. Um, our salary cap goes down. So, for example, if um, if Josh Smith would have signed a contract making uh, Brandon Jennings' salary a little lo- lower than he made before, he he was making thirteen from us before. If he signs a contract making eight million bucks for each of the next two years, let's say he signs a so next year it would uh, it would you take um, their salary minus the minimum salary, which is like eight hundred grand, I think, divided by two. So something like uh, it would take something like three and a half million bucks off of uh, what we uh, off of our cap hit. So that would reduce it from five point four million to two million. So in other in other words, if, if Josh Smith gets paid anything like what most people think he's worth, which is clearly less than what people thought he was worth when we when we signed him and everyone thought we paid him a fair salary. Uh, this actually isn't going to cost us very much. Um, in a couple years, the salary cap is expected to go way up. It, as long as Josh Smith's career continues for the next few years, 
this will have a pretty negligible impact. It'll be basically be like we drafted a late round rookie and he hasn't contributed anything in terms of its impact on our cap. Yeah, and, and let's contrast this to like a couple, a couple, a few years back. Um, I think Tom Gores deserves some credit here because he had to be willing to pony up this money to really give us the benefit of, and uh, not have the downsides of what we might have done. So, for example, before the Pistons are not are not. Uh, in unfamiliar territory here with having a couple of having a turkey overpaid turkey on their roster when we had both Ben Gordon and Villanueva on our rosters and we just sat Villanueva on the bench making what was it it was like seven million bucks seven million bucks a year and then we in order to get rid of Ben Gordon uh we had to trade him and give up a first round draft pick which we all felt the pain of this past draft when we, we basically lost our ninth pick and so that is, it'll be a big difference. I think we had the opportunity over the summer to unload Josh Smith to the Kings, and we probably would have had to take on some unfavorable contracts and or lose a first-round pick. So this just keeps our hands clean, and we can say, okay, we're cutting, our, we're cutting bait with Josh Smith, and we're leaving our options open this summer where we still have our, our first-round pick, and we, and we have a lot more cap room. Definitely. I, I, I like I, I like that point. I think you said you heard it on the, the Matt Derry radio show that give Gores credit for taking this move that he wasn't willing to make before. The other side of that is, um, man, it, it sure helps your GM uh, make moves if you're willing to pony up that money. Uh, Joe Dumars was looking for ways out of the straitjacket, and uh, uh, I'm glad we did it this time. And I, I think this is actually, this could be a groundbreaking move. I think when teams see what Josh Smith gets paid next year. I mean, he's he's definitely going to make, you know, 6, 8 or 10 million bucks next year depending on um depending on how the market breaks and that'll that'll reduce what we have to pay and what what our cap hit is to to pretty close to nothing. And teams will realize like if if you need to do an addition by subtraction um, this is actually a pretty viable option. T- um, there was an article on ESPN Insider with a bunch of um, you know commentators, scouts, former GMs, really, really killing us for killing uh, Stan Van Gundy for for doing this and not. Uh, why would you not wait until the trade deadline and make sure you've exhausted all your options? Why would you tie your hands like this? But I think that uh, I think that. When it all when it's all said and done, we'll look pretty good here. All reporting has been that the only thing, options we really had for trading Josh Smith were the same ones we had over the summer, which is to take um, a trunk full of junk from Sacramento, basically like um, it, the equivalent of breaking Josh's contract into two smaller bad contracts. And then the the thinking goes, oh well, smaller bad contracts are easier to trade. Blah blah blah. Um, but you know what? We we just we just sort of get off scot free here as long as Josh Smith plays well enough to earn like you know rotation player veteran money you know six six or eight million bucks you know I yeah, I, I think it's, I, I, I think, think this I saw, could be, really be a trend setting move and and one of the guys you mentioned it probably was the same guy I saw on a video clip on ESPN David Thorpe was kind of bashing the move saying well it, it was an emotional move this is why you shouldn't let the coach be the GM. Uh, he could have at least, you know, he could have accomplished the same thing in the short term by having Josh Smith kind of just like staying away from the locker room, just be like, look, stay home, uh, and we'll keep you around until the trade deadline because who knows, maybe something will come up. But if you watch the last three games, um, especially against the Magic, 
just the sort of the chemistry on the team, you have to think that it's going to like a team that knows that someone, they, they probably are friends with Josh Smith. They probably don't want to having the awkwardness of knowing that a player on your team is not welcome in the locker room. Now Josh Smith has let go. Uh, he, he's able to sign with the team. He's playing for the Rockets right now. He had a first good game there. He was interviewed after the, after the game and he was saying, you know, they had to do what they had to do, but I'm just glad to have a chance to play for a contender. You know, so the team probably really feels psychologically like we have a fresh start right now. So for that reason, it's appealing just to have uh, to, to have like the clarity of our direction right now and not having this lingering around, even if in theory you could accomplish the same thing by just saying stay away from the palace. I think, I think that's exactly right. And I, what I would add to that is it helps us uh, if Josh Smith signs a bigger contract next year. And when you make a guy stay away, you really put a stink on him like he's a cancer to the team or something like that. And we actually haven't heard anything about Josh Smith being a bad character guy for the team. He's just uh, is playing very poorly on offense and doesn't fit in our scheme. But it's not like Stan Van Gundy's been saying he's been disruptive or something, or he's not been suspended, he's not been benched. He was just more saying um, the way we would want to use him going forward is not fair to him as a veteran player who's very talented. We thought it would be better for him and for us. But but remember, if we had put a stink on him, and then suddenly now he's a guy who has to like play for the minimum next year just to get back in the league, that that hurts us. That that it, it helps us with the stretch provision if he makes more money next year. And having him go play with his buddy Dwight Howard um, for the Rockets, and if they make a deep playoff run and he makes a contribution, he can end up being a guy like Boris Diaw, who you know struggled uh, to find his role early. And then I think he's making something like 8 million bucks this year from the Spurs. Yeah. So, um, and I always thought, I always felt, I mean, maybe we can shift to talk about why we're better in addition by subtraction. You know, I was, I definitely have to eat my words going into the season. I was a Josh Smith defender saying, I would like to give him one more chance with a new coach. Could he actually reach his potential? I think the, the problem was he is not, a, he's not a good guy to be the best offensive player on your team. And he was acting like he was using as much possessions as if that's how good he was. Uh, he, he used the most possessions, and he was our least efficient player. So just by removing that out of the equation, you have to think we'll get a little bit better on offense. But I was concerned that you know maybe we'll get worse on defense because he's pretty athletic. He was a pretty good passer. But actually in the past couple of games, I mean, they talked about, I haven't really been able to look into the stats to back this up, but they were just talking about, uh, I think in the Cavs game, or um, or was it? No, I think it was the Pacers game. Just like there's more, there's more point guard usage. I think like the the point guards combined for 17 assists and only two turnovers. Josh Smith would get some assists, but he actually would have a few turnovers. Uh, so maybe it's one more thing about like high usage and mediocrity. Kind of was always just enough to, to fool you into thinking that Josh Smith could just could be good when he really wasn't. And now we remove him, we have the clarity. Um, we're starting to really hone in on. The pick and rolls with Drummond, we're, we're giving people a tough choice in either guarding him or guarding the guard. We're getting easy layups, easy dunks. Jody Meeks is, I mean, that, Jody Meeks could have been playing well while Josh Smith was on the floor as well. But there's 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 no longer someone on the floor who's going to take a bad outside shot because the other people are either pretty good to really good outside shooters. Yeah, the, as far as bad outside shots, we're basically down to... Once a game, Greg Monroe is going to get dared into taking a 16-footer, and he's bad at those. Once a game, he's going to take one of those. And then Brandon Jennings, once every other game, will dribble through the lane, turn around, and shoot a 15-foot fadeaway jumper. And you know, uh, 
the, but yeah, the, we removed a lot of bad shots. You know, the, we, um, you know, Josh, as you said, Josh Smith was just flat out hurting us being inefficient and using a lot of shots. We, we have, we have this weird situation where our franchise cornerstone guy, Andre Drummond is not a cr- offensive creative force. He is, we need somebody else to create some sort of disruption to leave him open for an alley-oop or charging to the basket on a pick and roll, or he creates for himself with offensive rebounds. So we didn't really have like a, what is our goal here on offense? Who, who's, who are we trying to get to make the shot? And um, I think as, as our highest paid player and as a veteran uh, on our team, maybe Josh felt that pressure to be that guy or he's always wanted to be that guy. Um, and now, as you said, the roles are clear. We just we don't have a guy who's our main focal point. We sometimes throw to Monroe in the post. Sometimes we need to just try to move the ball around until we get a pick and roll going. We, um, from what I've seen, I haven't watched all of each of the last three games, but we've made great hay from uh, like DJ Augustine getting a half step passes man and then the defensive rotation start and then he passes that out to Jody Meeks. I think like six of his nine threes came off of that type of play where mm-hmm. his man had rotated in to bump a big guy who was cutting through the lane and couldn't get out back onto him fast enough. Um, yeah, so, and I think, yeah. Um, again, we always get a bonus point when we can mention Zach Lowe. Uh, he, he was like talking about how the Pistons have looked good, Drummond looks good in the post, and we actually have, we're, we're creating a problem for other teams. And, and causing them to decide between guarding the alley-oop or guarding the guard, and we might either get an easy layup or an easy alley-oop. And, you know, the cornerstone of a good offense is making the other team have tough choices. So we have, now now you have Jennings or DJ Augustine drive to the hoop. One tough choice is guard Drummond or guard, uh, you know, kind of protect the alley-oop or, or protect the layup. And then if you have someone else come in to help, then you have the other tough choice of swinging it around to Jody Meeks um, for an open three, or if Singler or Jarebko uh, is shooting well that game, or, or Butler, then one of them might be, be hot as well. So that's, you know, we kind of have like a, a, a triple threat. And when, before, that was kind of muddled up by running the offense through Josh Smith. Yeah, so we, we have a scheme that kind of makes sense now. What we're missing is, frankly, enough talented players to really be a great team. I mean, I, I think what we're talking about here is improving from uh, a horrendous offense, like we talked about in the last episode, to we could nudge toward league average with the talent we have now, where we have, you know, Drummond and is an elite sort of cleanup guy, alley oop target, um, but but you need a creative force. Monroe is uh, good at offensive rebounds and can create a few shots in the post. You know, we're we're still not there yet. I think. Um, if we're if our if we ever have a title contending window open, it'll be because we added one or two guys who can actually create a shot or put real pressure on the defense. Um, but at least we are, we aren't going to just look like a complete mess. Yeah, I think going back to our theme of not, not, um, underwhelming bumper sticker ideas for the Pistons, we could have Detroit Pistons league average offense would be <laughs> uh, that would be an exciting thing for us. Uh, and the one thing I also noticed is that if you look at the past three games, we've managed to have good point differentials and, and have an overall good offense. But we don't. We can afford to have one player not play super well. Like for example, against Cleveland, Monroe really had an off game, but Jennings had a great game. Uh, and then against the Pacers, I think it was. Um, I guess the Pacers we actually all played really well. But then against 
um, Orlando, KCP really stunk up the Giant, and um, Jennings also had another bad game. But because Drummond played really well, and Singler actually came through and played well, and Jody Meeks played well, we, we still were okay. And, and it's almost like by removing like a guaranteed stinker on offense, we can take the hit of having one of those guys not have a great night. And, and I think that's realistic. You can't expect everyone to be firing all cylinders. So now between you know Drummond just playing a beast on the offensive boards and being pretty consistent, you, you can have, between Monroe, uh, KCP, Jennings, and, and Meeks, I feel like we actually can, have, we can expect that someone's going to be playing pretty well on a given night. Yeah, I think I think those are the that's a good point, and those are the ingredients of a potentially league average defense. Now, what we might be sacrificing here is um, our vaunted league average defense that that we had been so proud of uh, up until now, and it was actually slightly below league average. But you know, we were so bad last year, we were we were excited to be you know the seventeenth best defense in the league or whatever. Um, so Josh Smith is re- still widely thought of around the league to be a um, a really plus defensive player, not some kind of um, single man wrecking crew like Dwight Howard or Serge Ibaka, but just really solid, really good, like um, you know, like a Kenyon Martin late in his career or something like that. And that's probably uh, why he'll get paid a decent amount going forward. Okay, well we've we've removed that from the equation. Um, Greg Monroe is and Jonas Drebko are going to be absorbing a lot more minutes there. They're not really thought of as good defenders. In fact, Greg Monroe is thought of as being um, almost playing out of position at power forward because he's so slow of foot. He he has trouble keeping up with guys on pick and rolls and stuff. So, you know, we've gotten away with it the last few games. Um, we'll really see. Um, there's been some talk about, oh, maybe Drummond is starting to step up and be that rim protector we, we want him to be. I mean that would be pretty miraculous if he if that switch suddenly flips on and now he's a good rim protector and our defense is good. I, I can't see how that really connects to Josh Smith leaving the team. So yeah, I th- yeah. I mean, it, it might just be a it might be a coincidence, but against the Cavs, yeah, you know, he had five blocks. I mean, he was looking, he really was looking like an effective rim protector. I mean, there was this one, I think it was the block of the night on Yahoo Sports front page where because on, on LeBron James, he, LeBron. Blew past his guy and got in there, and then he just came in and helped out and just blocked it out of the out of the under the stands. It was great, but you know it's too early to tell. I don't want to extrapolate too much from these three games. Um, so yeah, what you're about? Right. The, and you're right. There's no reason to think. I mean, it's hard to correlate that with Josh Smith being gone. And, and it's just as a fan, it's just a lot harder to see what's going on on defense. Um, we just you know coaches know just know a lot more about that, and, and um, you know all. We we're just left with obvious stuff like we could tell Villanueva was a disgrace for the last few years of his tenure here. We could tell that last year Brandon Jennings was horrendous, and this year he's trying harder and is maybe just below average. You know, hey, we'll take it. Um, so we'll we'll see what the numbers show going forward because the eye test doesn't. It's it's just hard to say. But let, let's talk about kind of what's left for this season. Um, you know, we we went from being uh, really one of the depressing stories in the league, very disappointing. Preseason uh, predicted to make the playoffs, and then we were five and twenty-three. Now we're eight and twenty-three. We've won each of our last three games by a margin of eighteen plus points. Um, we are three and a half, four games out from the eighth seed of the playoffs right now, and there's enough time left that where that's no obstacle. If we if we start if we play five hundred ball or, or so for the rest of the season, we're we're contenders to sneak into the playoffs. Now. Um, 
you know, a, a cynical fan might say, well, great, we, you know, this was our chance to really be bad and get the top pick and, and build our foundation going forward. But, you know, our our organization has just never tolerated tanking for the top pick. So um, I think, you know, we'll have a chance to kind of, let's not mortgage our future or make any dumb long-term trades, but we could really go for something here. We got a roster spot open. We made a trade where we traded a young guy, um, uh, I forget the guy's name. He was a young power forward who basically never played. He was a second-round pick we took a chance on to, to Phoenix for Anthony Tolliver, um, who I looked up his numbers. He's basically like um, a 29-year-old kind of slightly undersized power forward who over half of his NBA field goal attempts have been threes. He's basically like a, a slightly taller Matt Bonner from the Spurs. You might remember the redheaded guy running around, and all he does is stand with his hands up. You know, yeah. I'm open for three, coach, you know. Um, I think, okay, made, I think he you made know, a he, three in his opening game. I think he was like one for four or something, but he did make one. Yeah, you, you know, so he'll just if he's on the floor and somebody else creates something and 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 we end up with a guy open. Hey, nice to have it, have it be a guy who can make a three. Um, so yeah, I mean, what do we do going forward? We have a roster spot open, so that makes it so we could make a one for two trade. Um, there are some teams that are probably looking to make a move um, before the trade deadline in February. Um, I wonder. You know, I, I wonder what we're going to do for the rest of the season, and I wonder what losing Smith means for Greg Monroe. One of the speculations about why he might leave is that, the, you know, it sucks to share minutes with uh, with Josh Smith. Does that come into play for our plans going forward? I don't know. Yeah, I would have to think that given that he's an unrestricted free agent, uh, had this happened before we made the decision, before he made the decision to take our offer earlier, it, it might have played a factor there, but I have to think that the most likely outcome is we're going to lose him because he's been through five really bad seasons, and unless he just has an affinity for not having to pack up his stuff and move, um, well, you know, if, if he gets competitive offers from a few teams and one of them is, you know, like a, like, well, let's say he gets an offer from the Warriors or something, like, you know, why would he not go there? Just like, yeah. but then again, maybe he, if, if Van Gundy really has everyone fired up and he's ha- and he really wants to stay there's a chance but th- you know we have no more we have no advantage in theory over any other team of getting him after the season yeah and and another thing uh, I, I think you're right we'll probably lose him our our hope of getting something back would be if um, if a team doesn't have enough cap room to sign him outright we could do a sign and trade where we sign him to a contract and trade him to the other team for some assets back yeah. well you know that might make sense. Um, the in a in a uh, Q and A session on the Pistons website, one, one of their writers um, noted that we're with without Smith's contract. Um, even if nobody pays him anything, and we have to take that full five million dollar hit, um, you know we're we're slated to have thirty million dollars in cap room cap space next year if we re, if we renounce Greg Monroe and lose him for nothing. Twenty million, even before we decide what we're going to do with him. So you know that's room for a max contract and another rotation player or two near max contracts. So I think we're and we, we need know, to we need to keep some some uh, cap room set aside to max out Drummond. But I'm not. Well, l- luckily Drummond's not a free agent this this yeah. coming year. Yeah, but, so, you still, but you still want to think ahead a little bit, probably. I don't know. We would if we got like two max. Yeah, players. no, you're you're right. You can't you can't have like four max guys on your roster, and you know you'll go into the luxury tax range, which probably the owner doesn't want to do. But I think we have room to just outright sign a guy. 
And um, you can see what we're doing here, I think, in the medium term, is we're, we're, we got our foundational piece in Drummond, and then we're, we're just putting like role players around who can shoot, and those are just sort of the placeholder pieces where they're good guys to have around. We need to add one or two more real actual creative forces, a guy who can you know, penetrate and cause the havoc that has Drummond open near the hoop. Because um, Drummond, for, for what he is, he's never going to be a guy who you, you um, run your offense through him and he has a high, super high usage rate. He just doesn't look like he's going to be that type of guy. Yeah, he's not I, Shaq, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I would think that he could move towards that a little bit. Um, in the past few games, there actually have been some promising signs of. I feel like earlier in the season they were trying to give it to him in the post to kind of give him make a post move, and he just was looked and looked like he couldn't handle it. He would force it. He would have bad misses. But in the past couple of games, there's probably maybe have been two or three possessions a game where he gets it, and either he's in a good position and makes a competent pass move, uh, post move with confidence and makes it. Or he's out of position and he just passes it. He doesn't try to force it. So I, I would like to think that he's not going to be only making his shots on offensive rebounds and easy dunks. But I agree that he's not going to be like a Hakeem Olajuwon or something like that. Um, yeah, you know, he's he's so young that, that, that you're right. I, I'm probably um, getting ahead of myself and saying what he is or he's never going to be or whatever. Even Dwight Howard, who's not thought to be a real – you know, highly developed offensive force had a few years in Orlando where he had a usage rate above 25%. You know, that's not Carmelo Anthony, Allen Iverson level, you know, 30% of your team's possessions where you really know what your plan is. Um, I remember in Orlando, they really had to make sure they had the right pieces around him. They made a midseason trade for Hito Turkoglu because he could actually run the pick and roll and, you know, initiate the offense. But, you know, we... There are some pieces that we need, and there are some intriguing free agents. We'll probably, um, towards the end of the season, it's too early to... I'm in um, I'm in uh, Pistons fan habit mode where uh, usually by this point of the season, it's, you know, it's everything's completely lost, so let's start talking about next season. But, you know, there's a couple... You know, Goran Dragic is a free agent, and, you know, some guys like that. We're going to have cap room. There are going to be some good guys, and you can see the foundation we're laying here where adding one or two more really good guys could really, we could really have something going here. Yeah. And, um, I, I think that just not worrying too, it's nice to know that even though it feels uneasy to not have a power forward, uh, locked down for the next, for 2000, the 2015, 16 season, uh, we have, like you said, plenty of cap room and we haven't made any compromises. So that's feels like it'll be an exciting off season. Um, but this season, I mean, we're back to, having a shot at making the playoffs, mostly because the East is so bad. Uh, <laughs> if we were in the West, we would be like 20 games out of the – I mean, like the, it's, it's amazing in the West. Like the Mavericks might not make the playoffs. Like whoever whoever loses two games is suddenly in the, teetering on the eighth spot. Right now it's like the Thunder are fighting to get in. It's crazy. Uh, but because of that imbalance, we actually could make the playoffs. And if we're playing really well, I mean, if we want to extrapolate and, cont- and, and really be hopeful, um, you could think that, you know – if we were the eighth seed playing the Hawks or Toronto, um, you know, we could, we could hang with those guys. It's not, it's not unthinkable to think that we could have a, a really sort of fairy tale playoffs and make it to the second round. But I'm not, you know, I'm just saying I at least have a, I'm not just like, Oh, the season's done anymore. I, I, there's a, there's some glimmer of hope and that's exciting. Yeah. We, we would have to overtake um, Charlotte who is imploding right now. Lance Stevenson, 
man, thank goodness we didn't sign him. He's been he he's been very disruptive. Um, yeah, to think that we had an episode, had an episode devoted to whether or not we should sign him, and, and we were like, yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the 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 listeners of this podcast got their money's worth on on, on the zero they paid to listen to that episode. <laughs> um, Indiana Pacers, we would have to pass, and they're they're in a transition mode, and they're they're pretty bad. They're just sort of waiting for Paul George to come back next year. Um, Boston, who at any time could um, start going into tank mode. Uh, yeah, I think that it sounds like. I mean, maybe I'm just listening to Bill Simmons too much, but it sounds like there is something like uh, Chokafor for Okafor. Yeah, Chokafor for Okafor. I thought that was yeah, funny. yeah, the, ex- ex- exactly. <laughs> and they they took the first step by trading Rajon Rondo yeah. last week um, for young guys and spare parts. Um, Brandon Wright is a solid prospect that they got, or solid young pick and roll guy. But you know, the so they could be going down. I'm and then sure. the seventh and eighth seeds are Brooklyn and Miami. Miami, I think, is going for it and, and would be hard for us to pass. But but Brooklyn could could be doing a teardown at any point here. They're fifteen and sixteen, and there's open talk that they might that everyone's for sale. They they their owner hates how they're paying. They have this super high payroll and they suck. They've got these terrible contracts. Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, both make above twenty million bucks. And 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 they're you know maybe not above average starters. Oh God, I feel so bad for Brooklyn fans. I mean, they just they, they sacrifice all of their future assets and draft picks to and to overpay these aging stars to just to be very mediocre and maybe not even make the playoffs. And and yep. they're they're just screwed. They're they're like the Knicks of five years ago right now. And they put a premium on starting their new arena with a competitive team so they could get a fan base. Yeah. And their owner came in and made a big made a big splash when oil prices were high, you know, their their Russian billionaire owner came in and blew money around. Uh where where it is people haven't seen too much of him lately and now like Russia's economy's bad and <laughs> their their the ruble has dropped a ton and stuff. I I think you know, basically like they he came in and spent a lot of money at the club and now he like passed out and puked in the corner before the party was over, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, so and if so, if other teams tank, the, the signs are that we're not going to tank. There's been a lot of talks about, you know, focusing on developing our young players even as we stay, remain competitive. And one sign of, of not just completely going in, like, let's develop our youngest players mode, is that we just sent Dinwiddie to the D-League, and he hasn't played in the past three games except for some junk time. By the way, it was amazing that we even had junk time against the Magic. That was like the first time I've seen it this season. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've been a big Dinwiddie fan this year, but um, the fact that he, we just sent him to uh, Grand Rapids is a sign that we're focusing on our two best point guards right now. And um, yeah, so and one one other thing that I forgot to mention that um, one thing I noticed in both the Pacers and the Magic game, going back to to uh, Drummond and what we would like to see him improve on, he really needs to get become better at free throw shooting because. The hack of Dre has actually come into play in those two games. Uh, with with four minutes left against the Pacers, they just followed him until we took him out, and then we actually took Drummond out. And the I mean, he basically was out the entire fourth quarter against the Magic, in part because we had blown him out, but in part because they had gone to uh, hack a Drummond really early, and he was you know he was shooting like thirty percent. So he he has to become like at least a fifty percent free throw shooter asap. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a liability. Yeah, the, absolutely. The past three games, he's averaged twenty-seven percent from the free throw line, and this isn't this isn't in a low amount of attempts. He's averaged almost nine free throw attempts per game and made 
2.3 out of 8.7 per game in the last three. So the, he's clearly not going to be that bad for the rest of his career, but he's been solidly between 40 and 50%. And um, I forgot to mention this. Uh, uh, a week or so ago, I looked up, like, I was trying to figure out, like, how, should we have hope? Should we really have hope that Drummond is going to improve his free throw shooting? And so I looked up, you know, in in NBA history, you know, guys in their first few seasons who shot under 50%, how many of them really improved and how many stayed the same? And there's some cause for hope, which is that a handful of a handful of them really did get better and shot above 50% after that. But an equal number actually got worse going forward. And there was sort of no trend towards, you know, basically I compared their first couple years free throw percentage to their career free throw percentage. And, um, yeah, basically there's no reason to be confident that he's going to improve. How, but some of them did get better. Yeah. And... At least there's that. It's not impossible that he'll get better. Um, and, and if you look at his shooting form, even it's hopeful because he actually has an arc on it, and some. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like Shaq, where he's just sort of like a line drive and it just looks hopeless. I mean, there there are. I'm not sure if this means anything. I'm probably just grasping at straws, but um, it, it it seems like he's he, he has the hands to not have it just be hopeless. Um, Yep, you you never know. Uh, it would help him tremendously if you think about it. If you make fifty five percent of your free throws, that makes a, a trip to the line with two shots um, average one point one points per in those two free throws. That's that's um, one hundred and ten points out of one hundred possessions you use that way. That is consistent with you having a top ten offense. In other words, if you get above fifty five percent, you stop seriously hurting your team's offense with your free throw shooting. Yeah. And so if you and if you can get to 60 or 70%, that means it's it's your the team actually won't will stop following you on following you on purpose um during the game and they'll take you know. So he just he just has to get up. He just has to get a, get higher because he's starting to have the skills the combination of rebounding and shooting near the basket where um I think I'm starting to think Dwight Howard is less of a good comparison, and, and Moses Malone is a better one. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, who came in the league really young was a similar quality, incredible offensive rebounder as Drummond. Um, Drummond's much better, even better offensive rebounder than Howard. And uh, you know, uh, so I think that's that's Drummond's ceiling, not his most likely, because Malone won an MVP award and a championship, and. You know, so that that's uh, that's that's dreaming there. Yeah, but, but that's but what, I, that's how what he reminds me of. Yeah, that's exciting. That's a great comparison. I'll have to go back and really look at Moses Malone as a. But you know, I, I just watching him the past few games with the clarity and him being able to just start and play a lot of minutes. He's not getting into foul trouble as nearly as much anymore. That that's been a, a major improvement. I could actually see him being an All Star sometime, maybe not this season, but next season, and that would be the proof of concept that hey, he's worth play, paying the max. He's an All Star. He's a really talented big man. He's not just going to be per- perpetually promising, at, you know, athletic guy. He's, he's, he's really starting to blossom. Yeah. And so we just got to, just got to put the right guys around him. Um, we, we see what happens when you have great players, but you don't have the right mix of talent around them. You end up with stuff like um, Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, and Kevin Love in Cleveland, where their offense is incredible and their defense is terrible because no one can protect the rim. And now they have no cap room to get a rim protector 
and the only good defensive center they had, Anderson Vergeau, just injured his Achilles and is out for the year. Um, and now they're stuck. Um, so we, you know, we, we got to be careful with our next few moves here um, to, to have the right mix uh, around, around uh, Andre. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so maybe we can wrap it up. I just wanted to give a shout-out to um, the Basket Pod and Podcast, uh, Henrik Broman. Uh, they reached out to us because he's really excited about Jarebko, obviously. He's one of two Swedish players. I talked to him. It was interesting. When I was getting on the Skype call, it was literally announced like five minutes before we got on the horn that that Josh Smith was waived. And Henrik was excited because um, that basically means Jarebko is getting a lot more minutes. And I just wanted to mention that in the past three games, um, while Jarebko isn't setting the world on fire, it is nice to see that he's remained pretty consistently decent, uh, even with, even in taking more minutes. And he's a, he's, he's a, he's a, I'm happy to have him on our team. So, um, uh, th- th- there's an episode where I think I'm on the, I'm on his podcast that I can, we can link to in the notes. Unfortunately, the first 38 minutes are all in Swedish before it gets to any English. So you have to be a diehard Jarebko fan if you happen to speak Swedish, but I just thought it was fun to mentioned that I had a good time talking with you. Yeah, who knows? If you, if you drink enough vodka, maybe you'll be able to understand Swedish. Who, who knows? <laughs> exactly. So anyway, thanks for listening. Um, I'm just, just for fun, you might not be able to hear this very well, but uh, I, I was having such a good time watching the uh, Orlando game that when we were when we really kind of opened it wide up, uh, Blaha and Special K were in their classic form, and I brought my computer up to the TV and recorded it, and you'll you'll see the compromise quality but this is sort of a fun way to to wrap it up you got blaha talking about the cent- hitting the century mark and special k just saying you know what guys this is winning basketball and, and we should be excited all right play us out george and greg <laughs> this is shot they want off iron to augustine dj augustine long gunning got it the pistons hit the century mark in orlando Look at this team, and they go up by 25. Go ahead, Greg. Listen, the NBA season is a long season. You can't look at the Pistons' record overall. Teams like to break it down into segments. The Pistons are playing winning basketball right now. And if you're a Piston fan, you got to come out and see this.